0: Well, Greetings, Grace Chapel. Good to be with you all today across all of our campuses and venues or at home, wherever you might be. We're glad you can join us as we wrap up our summer series here today. Just a moment, I'm going to introduce our guest speaker today, who I'm really excited about and you're going to enjoy. But before I do that, just a quick word about next Sunday, Vision Sunday, as we kick off our new church year. This fall, we're going to be speaking into... One of the most deeply felt needs of our time, and maybe of all time, the need to belong, to have a people and a place in this world, to feel as though you are part of something larger than yourself, something significant. We're going to be speaking to that this fall. We're going to be going to the New Testament book of Romans, where the Apostle Paul writes a letter to a community of faith living in the capital city of a pagan empire, facing all kinds of challenges and tests, and yet finding and discovering belonging vibrant, authentic community life in the midst of that environment. And that's what we need, and that's what our world needs. So we'll be doing that over the course of the fall. I think it's going to be a great series, and we'll get that started next week, along with all our Kids Town and student ministries and everything else. It's going to be a great day next Sunday. We hope you'll be here. But today, really excited to have Jua Robinson here as our guest speaker. I'm going to ask Jua to come and join me here up front as I introduce him for just a moment. Uh, Jua and his wife, Regina, and their four children have been serving the Lord here in Boston area for about a dozen years or so now. Jua originally came to uh, found and lead as senior pastor a, a new church in Jamaica Plain, Heart Change Fellowship, and has served that church very effectively for a dozen years or so now, or nearly so. Uh, along the way, Jua also helped us, to uh, Pastor Dana, myself, and a few others, to establish our church our missional church network that we call Greater Things for Greater Boston, an association of like-minded churches around the city. Jua helped us get that thing off the ground. Recently, Jua is sensing God's call to transition to a new role here in the city, uh, leading and helping to establish a workplace missional network called the Boston Collaborative. He'll tell us a little bit more about that in his message here today. But uh, Jua has been a friend as well as a colleague for these many years. I've been wanting to have him speak here for a long, long time. So glad to finally have him here along with Regina and uh, their family. So we're glad they're here. Uh, and You're going to enjoy hearing from him today. When he's done, at the end, we're going to to each of our campuses and have a final commissioning moment as we send all of you out into the workforce and the school force for the year to come. So great moments ahead. Can we welcome Jua as he brings us a message today?
1: Good morning, Grace Chapel. It's good to be here with you. What's going on? Amen. Man, it's a blessing. It's such a blessing. I have so much affection and love for Pastor Brian and Pastor Dave and and Pastor Dana as well, Uh, just great friends of mine Uh, over the years have been such a a blessing, kind of a mutual blessing to each other. Um, And Dana and Brian and I, we serve together with this uh, aforementioned group called Greater Things for Greater Boston, uh, working with churches all over the Boston area to really kind of work together to think more broadly about the impact that we could make together as churches. Um, I want to share a little story with you about Pastor Brian. See, most of you know Pastor Brian as this this, this amazing man, amazing preacher, uh, and his love for one thing. What is that? The Yankees, Yankees, right? right. See, you all know this. You know, it's the Yankees. And I didn't mention anything earlier about them getting swept by the Red Sox, but, you know, I just kind of, I kept that on the hush-hush. Because a little birdie told me that Pastor Brian didn't mention it that, that weekend when they, when they got swept. So. But, but I heard you mention it maybe another time. But, but Brian also has an another, another affinity that I found out about. So about five years ago, we went to a, a Christian conference uh, in New York City, uh, right in Times Square, And there were Christian leaders there from all over the country. And as we were there, uh, we had spent, you know, a day or two, uh, you know, the first day, rather, going to sessions. We had traveled. uh, We had gone to dinner, had more conversation after the actual gathering itself. And mind you, we got back to our hotel room at about 930 in the evening. And if you've been at a conference all day, what's the first thing you want to do? right? You want to kick your shoes off, you know, maybe, you know, watch something on TV, loosen up your tie, you know, get, you know, just just to kind of hang out a little bit. Well, I'm in the room. I'm getting ready to do all those different things, kind of put my bag down. And Brian looks at me and he said, let's go get some ice cream. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, I just want to call my wife, kind of hang out. And so I looked at him like, is this dude serious? Like, like, does he really want to go and get some ice cream? I thought I left my, I left my kids at home. And so, and, so, and so I'm thinking this in the back of my mind, like, wow, OK. And so he said, no, I'm serious. Let's go get some ice cream. And so here we are, we go back down, you know, you know down the elevators, down to, to Times Square. And if you've been to Times Square in the evening, it's hustling and bustling, people are everywhere. We didn't know where to get some ice cream, but because of Pastor Brian, we were on a mission to get some ice cream, right? And so we're walking through, asking people, you know where we can get some ice cream? And you know, they're thinking like, man, these people, these dudes are crazy. Why are they asking for ice cream? These Broadway shows and plays, and they're asking for ice cream. And so, you know, we're walking around and we finally get to the ice cream place, the ice cream store. And I just saw his, his eyes kind of lit up and he was excited. He's like, Man, can I buy you some ice cream too? You know, because we had just made this, this little trek. And it was like everything was all right in the world. And so I share with you that story because it has nothing to do with my sermon today. But, but maybe some of you may feel inclined to buy Pastor Brian some ice cream. Maybe by the end of the, end of the week, he'll have 100 a, a gallons of ice cream just waiting outside of his house. I know he would love it because every day this brother has ice cream. So just, just remind him of that. But the the reason I'm here today is to conclude our series, the series here called Gaining Ground, which is about how we might experience growth and progress in the areas of life that matter most. Listening to the Holy Spirit, eliminating uh, distractions that keep us from following Jesus, fear, you know, all sorts of areas that, that, that help us to grow as Christians. But the, the point that I want to make today here, folks, is this is that we gain the greatest ground as we unite as a whole church to bring the whole gospel to the whole city. My ultimate joy or our ultimate joy as Christ followers is bigger bigger than just our individual walks with Jesus. See, our ultimate joy is in Christ must also involve the family of God. It must also involve my brothers and my, my sisters in Christ encouraging, keeping us accountable, walking together through the highs and the lows of life to help us to grow spiritually. And so as we, as we begin our time, hopefully you're, you're entering into September as we transition to, into the fall, having had some time of rest, Hopefully you've spent some time on the Cape or the, the North Shore or, or Maine or, or New Hampshire or somewhere else around the world where you've had some, some literal time to rest because we don't often rest. They say in America, we, we have the, uh, the least amount of, of vacation we take than any other country in the world. And then depending upon what organization you, you look up, the, the Bureau of, of Labor Statistics or, or a Gallup poll or some other tool, it talks so much, they talk so much about how Americans, we don't take vacation. And we wonder why, as a country, we have high rates of mental and emotional disorders such as anxiety and depression and why our opioid use is now the, the third in the entire world. And so when we think about just the, the, the seriousness and the severity of rest, it's really important. It's extremely important. Because if we ask ourselves as Christians especially, will we say that, that our, our work is important? We would say yes, right? It's a, it's a very biblical concept to think about our work and the importance of our work. Because the first command to Adam wasn't to, to make as much money as he could, or to build the biggest house or to, to get the greatest name possible, what he, or to, to build the, the biggest boat, right? That was Noah's job. <laughs> but, but his first job was to cultivate what God had given him, to, to name the animals and to be about working. But we also are modeled by God when he created the heavens and the earth and everything therein that on the seventh day he kept working right he wanted to make a few more dollars didn't he no he he rested he rested and so when the biblical within the biblical meta narrative god begins this this idea in a garden and he in the seventh day he rested but then when we look at how the biblical narrative ends it it ends in a city it ends in a city. And so today, folks, we're gonna be taking some time to look from a biblical standpoint, even in, in Revelation, to talk about this ultimate city, this, this new Jerusalem, this place of peace, but it was also a place of, of rest. And so if you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, it's also here on the screen in the English standard version I'm using. And what's interesting about today is Pastor Brian invited me here today. And as the guest preacher, I'm preaching out of the book of Revelation. So this is a sermon that could go sideways really quickly. I mean, we could be here for the next three hours trying to interpret, interpret prophecy, but we're not gonna do that today. I'm gonna let you know that, that won't happen today. Well, just go with me to Revelation chapter 22, which reads, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bring bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on, the, uh, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations." No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it. And the servants and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no lamp, no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever forever and ever. Mm. In fact, just take a moment just to reflect and think about this new Jerusalem. Within this city, there is a a crystal river and on each side is a a tree of life bearing fruit and leaves which heal the nations of their wounds and the effect of of sin, of the divine curse. The city is is the garden of Eden remade The city is the fulfillment of the purposes of Eden. Life began in a garden, but will end in a city. And so God's purpose for humanity is literally urban. The city is God's invention and design, not just a sociological phenomenon or invention of humankind. According to Pastor Tim Keller in New York City, writer and theologian. God designed the city with the power to draw out the resources of creation of the natural order and the human soul and thus to build civilization. Cities are great places of creativity and culture and innovation. Cities develop culture. They develop cultures And that's why when we think about cities, we shouldn't think about it as this evil place that we can't go as Christians because God is even in the, God is at work in cities whether we recognize it or not. And God's ultimate desire from the beginning is that cities would be there at the end and at the new beginning, right? And so the command from the beginning was directed towards building a city. But yet, while God's kingdom has come, it's not yet completed. And how does John describe the new Jerusalem? Is that it's not yet. That we only have small glimpses here on this earth. We don't fully understand the goodness or or what heaven will actually be like. But we know this, folks, that there'll be no sorrow. That there will be no pain in heaven. There will be no heartache in heaven. Some of you are excited because you'll have your, your glorified body and those knees that are jacked up right now will one day work once again, right? And we also know that in heaven, there will be no man buns in heaven. There will be no hair pieces. There will be no hair weave in heaven. No fake teeth, no mullets, hallelujah, in heaven. If you know someone with a mullet, tell them in heaven, it won't won't be there, brother. No jerry curls in heaven. It will not be there in heaven. You know, for my family, my wife and I, we've been blessed with, with four awesome children, uh, 12, 11, 9, and 6. And my six-year-old, he, he always has these questions, Daddy, Daddy, these, these amazing questions. And last week, he asked me this question, not knowing what I'm going to preach about today. He said, Daddy, well, we have food in heaven. Because to a six-year-old, what? Ice cream and, and pizza and cookies and brownies. It's, it's, there's nothing better to life than cookies and pizza and ice cream, right? And so he asked me this question because in his mind, that's just the best I can get. And so I said, son, I said, well, you know what? In heaven, you know, like we'll have glorified bodies, so we won't have a need for it because, you know, food is 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 primarily to, to give us energy so that we can continue to function. But I said, you know what? There might be some Mike's pastries in heaven. There may be some Regina's pizza, you know, in heaven somewhere up there. But no, I didn't tell him that part. But but, but really, for us as humans, we can't, we can't conceptualize how great heaven's gonna be. And so even when we think about eating the best foods and going to the, the best restaurants or to the best places around the world, our minds can't conceptualize how great it's gonna be because God is preparing a place for us who are in Christ Jesus, amen? Amen. And so when we think about just the goodness of God, we know that we're here as sojourners left on this earth for a purpose, a purpose to fulfill the calling that God has placed on our lives. If we're followers of Christ, that we are here to bring his name glory, that we're here to, to live out the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to live for his affection and to have our joy centered in Christ alone. I'm not gonna sing the song. I'm gonna spare everyone. But to have our joy in Christ alone, to see him as our ultimate source of hope. And until we leave this earth, that's the mission that we're all called to regardless of what professions we're in. We're called to bring him glory. Think about this for a second in, in, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet, uh, when Israel was exiled around 595 BC, he received the word. And the word was, was um, in, especially in, in chapter 29, you know, oftentimes we go to verse 11, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? You know, and so in that verse, we, we see it on T-shirts, we see it in social media, we see it um, on posters. You know, we see it, you go into someone's office, Jeremiah 29, 11. But we miss the rest of the context of that verse. Because actually what was happening is that many of their leaders were corrupt. That families were displaced because of exile. And their identity was shaken, but yet God desired to bring them hope. He desired to bring them hope. And through Jeremiah, God told the exiles that their scattering is not accidental and that God has plans for them that include sometimes what seems most chaotic and random. Sometimes life seems that way, doesn't it? But we do know that God is sovereign and he knows the beginning and the end. And so the plans for exile for them, they weren't permanent. Listen to Jeremiah 29, verses five through seven. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Hmm. What is he talking about here? Because Jeremiah mentions farming. He mentions housing. He mentions marriage here, right? What he's saying here is to seek the shalom of the city, that regardless of what situation you've been in, even with the exiles, he's saying, make a new life until it changes. He's reminding them of the hope that they could have in himself. He's reminding them of this because what happens then is I believe even what happens today here in 2018 is that when we seek the shalom of the city, when we seek the the peace of the city as God's people, the city prospers. The city prospers. People are blessed when God's people do things that honor Him. An example of that is actually here at Grace Chapel. At Grace Chapel, there's a, a ministry that's here that, that blesses people all over Greater Boston, and you may not realize it. The, the Shine Ministry, the, the Disability Ministry. They 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 do an amazing job. And so for 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 those of us who have children with with disabilities, which my wife and I have, we have an 11 year old with Down syndrome, Shine has been a blessing because we've sent people from our church to Grace Chapel to be trained by some of the, 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 the staff here who serve that ministry. And what's amazing about it is that the world has a way of looking at people who have disabilities as if they're imperfect. But the reality is No matter if you have a disability or don't have a disability, you are perfectly the way God designed you to be. And what's amazing about the Shine ministry is it impacts other churches in terms of informing them of how to best serve those who have a disability or have um, children or serving people with disabilities so that they can go out and bless individuals who are in their communities. Many of these individuals don't know Jesus And so as a ministry, what's so amazing is that the heart behind it is so life-giving. And so the ministry, that specific ministry is helping the flourishing of greater Boston. You know, as Christians, when we're able to engage people on our jobs and when we're able to engage our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and be able to say, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. You know, I, I have to consistently go back to Jesus and ask him for his grace and mercy. That's the reality of being a Christian. And if you're married, you know you're not perfect. Or more so, your spouse knows you're not perfect, right? And any husband here knows. If you're not apologizing daily or every other day, something's wrong. Can I get an amen, fellas? Amen. Right? It's all a part of it. And so Christians, we are, we, are, we are jacked up, but we need God's grace daily. And so when we think about the city and we think about how God establishes cities, I believe that there are a few blessings of cities that God wants us to, to recognize as we think about cities. One is that the city as a garden is a place of refuge and safety. When Israel moved into the promised land, the first cities were built by God's direction as cities of refuge, where the accused person could flee for safety and civil justice. And so literally God invented cities to be a sign of the divine and not for self-protection. And in in that density, there was a sense of diversity. That's why as Christians, we can't look at cities and just say, oh, that's just where the bad people are. That's just where the, that's where just, where, 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 where name a category of people, that's where they are. And so I'm gonna remove myself from it because those people don't think like me or look like me or have some of the same cultural experiences as I do. Because God has called us to make an impact. Secondly, the city is a, is a place of deep cultivation. Think about this. Even in Babylon, the city exhibited resources of God's original plan. In Revelation 18, Babylon is a, a place of, of music and arts, crafts and works of all types of uh, manufacturing, trade, retail, technology, family building. But the sad reality is that God designed cities with the hope and function that those cities would bring honor and glory to his name, that, that the, the creative gifts would be used at ways to, to bring honor and glory to him, of which Babylon didn't do that as a city. And so when we, we think about cities, they often bring out the best and the worst of us, don't they? And what we often see in the news is the worst of what happens in cities. But the city, what makes it so amazing is that it puts each of us together with groups of people who possess similar characteristics and they can often provide a sense of hope. People move to the city because I want to I wanna get a job or I want to, to obtain an education. And so they, they go to the city. And so no matter if you're black, white, rich, poor, Asian, Latino, it's a, it's a great place to be because you can often meet people like, like yourselves. But also, it's a great place to see the rest of the world. You know, where our church was located, I could, I could walk up the street and have uh, Mexican food. I could have Thai food, Chinese, Asian, Lebanese, um, Japanese, all right, on the same street. Dominican food, Puerto Rican food, on the same street within a matter of six or seven blocks. I could see the world by just walking up the street. And what's so amazing is to be able to engage people like yourselves. You know, for me, I'm not from Boston. My wife and I aren't from Boston originally. I'm actually from Ohio. And so being from Ohio, um, I will admit in front of each of you, I am an, an avid uh, and often dejected Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> and so you all can pray for me. I get, I get one clap in the back. An often dejected Browns fan, but also I'm, a, I'm a, an Ohio State Buckeye fan as well. You know, too. I, I heard that one boo. I hear that boo. <clears throat> but, you know, I know that was probably from a, a dejected Michigan fan. So, who who lost last night? I'm not gonna, you know, I shared that early in the service, and one guy said, Man, I had it on DVR. I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, uh, said, so I didn't know, want to know the score. You just messed it up for me. So hopefully I'm not messing it up for someone else. But Michigan lost. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but in Boston, on Saturdays, there's a sports bar for Ohio State fans. And so I can go and, and watch the game with other Ohio State fans. And on Sundays, there's a bar for Cleveland Browns fans. <laughs> You know, just, just, it's just a sad place. I mean, it just, it's, it's, just, it's just a bunch of people saying stuff that doesn't glorify the Lord and just upset and angry because we lose all the time. And so on Sunday, on Saturdays, I can, I can be excited when I leave. And on Sundays, I, I'm, I leave dejected. So it's kind of like this constant motion of just humility that the Lord is allowing me to experience. And so, but the beauty is, it, but is I can have that experience with people who have the same interests, right? And that's what cities provide. But cities also force us to think deeply about our longest held perspectives. The core of our thinking is often challenged because we're confronted to actually understand why do we believe what we believe? Because there are people there who are working really hard to challenge some of the assumptions we have and some of the ideologies that we have based on their own experience. In cities, people are are deeply skilled and emote proficiencies in areas that many of us have no understanding about. People have so many different experiences in cities. And one of the things that's been a blessing for me is to be able to have conversations with so many individuals in Boston to learn about their experiences, to learn about what is it like to grow up in, in Singapore, what is it like to grow up in Brazil and all of these amazing places. But then also what is it like to grow up in Boston? You know, as a church, uh, we would host, we would have a, a, a service on the beach every summer in South Boston. And so we would have our, a church service on the beach. You know, We were a smaller church, so we could have a church service on the beach and we would have baptisms on the beach as well. And one year, this has to be about five years ago, we had a, a service on the beach and we had some of our baptism candidates kind of after they um, were baptized, kind of share their story a bit. And one of the ladies said, you know, she's an early forties African-American woman. And she said, this, is my first time at the beach in South Boston. You know, I grew up two to three miles away from here and my mother always told me that people who look like you aren't welcomed here. And so she said she never went to the beach. And so you can imagine the silence over us as a church as she's sharing this story and and just how much our heart broke for her as she's sharing this story. But then it was also a moment to rejoice because here it is, you know, we're celebrating her, her new life in Christ, her declaration of faith in Jesus. But we were also able to celebrate how Jesus cuts through fear and how Jesus cuts through racism and how Jesus makes people who were once different whole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to celebrate reconciliation. Yeah. Because the same mother of her probably would have said, you know what, I don't know if you need to be going to a multi-ethnic church where you're around people who don't look like you. It was powerful. And cities often allow us to engage people who are very different from ourselves. You know, cities are just these amazing places often of untapped potential. You know, Brian mentioned earlier, my wife and I, we, we moved to Boston back in, in uh, 2006 uh, to Boston to plant our church heart change fellowship to be an intentionally multi-ethnic church. And by God's grace, it, it, it happened. We, we saw people come from all over the world Last September, we celebrated 10 years as a church, and in that process, I really felt as if God was saying to us, "You know what? You need to begin engaging some conversations with the body around what it would look like to to, for your your long-term vision as a church." And we began this process to have a a, a series of monthly conversations to talk about, you know, what are are our goals? What do we want to see happen? Around that same time, uh, Pastor Brian and Pastor Dana and I were a part of some other gatherings and they said, Jua, we recognize that you're having these conversations Um, as we've been engaging other leaders throughout the city. We recognize that there could be some potential for a new uh, organization or a new network to kind of start really focused on Christians in the workplace because there's there's nothing similar to, Uh, to that in Boston that really engages organizations in the city who are doing great things. And so long story short, my my wife and I continued to pray about this. And then in the process, our church made a decision that, you know what? We recognized that there was another church not far from where our church was meeting, where we shared vision, we shared mission, we shared a lot of core values. And we said, you know what? Let's merge our churches together. And so this summer, our churches are merged. We merged together back in July. And in the meantime, I said yes to to helping to lead a new effort in the city really focused on engaging believers in the workplace called the Boston Collaborative. And what's been such a blessing is For those of us who've lived in Boston or lived in greater Boston for a long time, we know that there's this this narrative about Boston and New Englanders that, you know, there there are no Christians in New England. There are no Christians in Boston, like nothing is happening. And that's just straight flat. it's, It's just, it's not true. It's just flat false. We know God is doing a lot in our area, a lot in our city. Uh, The organization, the Emmanuel Gospel Center, they talk about over the last uh, 40 to 50 years, uh, the the amount of churches in the greater Boston area has grown about 400 percent in terms of what God is doing here in New England. And so when we think about all of this, you know, one of the things that's been crucial to kind of this new work is to engage folks in the workplace, and what I mean by folks in the workplace is, is you know, someone in education, business, medicine, technology, uh, law, whatever it may be, believers, to really think about how to, by working together, what could we accomplish together that none of us can do separately by ourselves? And so to also think about those who are retirees and, and those who may be a stay at home, to really think about how, to uh, engage together in ways that really bless our city. And so our idea is to really highlight existing organizations who are helping to seek Boston Flourish, who are led by believers in Christ, of which so much is happening. And so with it happening, I mean, God is doing a lot. There are a few examples of this, such as you may not realize that there are 40 churches in Boston who have partnerships with Boston City Schools. And so to provide mentoring, tutoring, engaging schools in a number of different levels, providing resources, doing projects in schools as a way of blessing schools. There's also uh, an organization that just recently started for Christians who are engaged in entrepreneurship to provide a, a, a platform and a way for, for believers to get together and talk about, you know, what, about experiences. And so everything from startup companies to, to folks who have been uh, entrepreneurs for, for many decades to share wisdom and resources and this to each other. Uh, additionally, there's a, an, uh, an organization in Roxbury uh, called the Social Impact Center that focuses, focuses on community trauma. We recognize that in order for many people to come to Jesus, the first step sometimes isn't connecting to a church. Sometimes it's not connecting to to someone else, but it's actually dealing with the stuff that we've experienced. It's dealing with the pain. It's dealing with the heartache. It's dealing with trauma and traumatic experiences that we've, we've had. And so there's a, a church that provides a, a, a platform for people to have a conversation called Can We Talk? And at the Can We Talk conversation, what happens is they have music and food and it's a safe place for people to talk about trauma. And the program has been so successful over the last four years, they've had over a thousand people who've come, folks come from all over greater Boston to Roxbury to experience this blessing of trauma of dealing with trauma. So much so that over the last uh, nine months or so, they've had about eight churches reach out to say, hey, how can we take that model? And so my team and I are working with them to help them scale it. So hopefully, a Can We Talk can be in every neighborhood in the city of Boston. This fall, three are actually starting up, one in Gary, Indiana as well. And so when we think about what God is doing in our city, it's just amazing. Housing. Housing is another issue, a challenge in Boston. They're building every week and every week something is getting built. You know, for some of you who drive into the city or drive to work in Boston or take the train, you see it consistently every week. Right. And so but there are also believers thinking to themselves, how can we help? How can we we help with some of this? How can we help with affordable housing? How can we engage? There are churches who are saying, how can we use some of our property to, to, to be a resource to our communities? You can pray because later in, in September, uh, our team is hosting a conversation for Christians who are involved in housing and in real estate, architecture and design to come together and build, and, 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 and build relationships because what often happens is, is many of the individuals who are in these arenas, they don't, they don't know each other. And so as we've been having conversation, we've said, how can we provide a space and a platform for some of those conversations to happen? So that believers can begin to think more critically around working together to bless and serve the city. And so, you know, I just shared a little bit about just some of the work that we're doing and I wanna also just let you know, maybe just some ways to help. Maybe there's some, some ways in which you're thinking to yourself, like, well, I'd like to, to help or to even um, consider how to even bless in some type of way. One is just to pray for us, just to pray for us, to keep us in prayer. Um, as you think about, you know if you have a, a prayer list or a prayer gathering, just include uh, the Boston Collaborative. We would love to have uh, you lift us up before the throne of God. Secondly is to, to donate or to, know, to learn more information about what we're doing, you can go to bostoncollaborative.org and find out more information about the work that we're doing. Thirdly, connect. Maybe there are individuals who are, you're, you're thinking to yourself, wow, this person needs to be connected to you guys. Maybe helping us to, to build relationships and, and engage those who are, who are in your spheres. Fourthly, You may say, you know what, I want to volunteer. i love to help an organization. Maybe you're gifted in finance and you want to help another organization think more critically about how they're managing their their, their books. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, wow, I have administrative skills that that I could potentially lend to someone else, that there's an opportunity, or technical skills or design skills. There are always organizations who are so focused on on kind of the day-to-day that they miss some of the details that could help them Reach more people with what they're doing. But then, lastly, to potentially even just host a conversation. And so, for us, we're having conversations with other uh, leaders and individuals who would be willing to par- possibly partner with us. And maybe you're saying to yourself, Wow, I'd love to host a gathering for you as a way of, of introducing you to some of the folks in my sphere. And so, I just ask that you would just continue to pray for the Boston Collaborative because we're seeing God do some great things in our city. And even Grace Chapel, you know, as a church has supported what we're doing. And and for that, we are uh, extremely grateful for that. But, you know, I I, I share that because regardless of, of where God has you, your work matters to God. Your work matters to God. How you steward your time on your job, It matters to the Lord, regardless of if others recognize the contribution that you make, it matters to the Lord. And for most of us, we may not go 1,000 or 2,000 miles elsewhere for our vocation. For most of us, we'll stay here in the Boston area or somewhere close by, and we'll think to ourselves, how can I make a difference? How can I make it impact? How can I engage those who are, who are around me? You know, my encouragement is, is that if you're on your job being faithful, if you're trusting Jesus consistently, the Lord is honored in that. The Lord is honored in the work that you're doing. You're, the Lord is honored. That if you're faithfully uh, working to fulfill the mission that God has placed on your life, he is pleased. And my encouragement is to keep being faithful to the work that God has called you to. And maybe you're here today thinking to yourself, wow, this is the first time I've I've heard this from from a church perspective. I know that's not something solely kind of inherent within me, but I know the leaders here at Grace Church as well really have a huge desire to encourage each of you who's there in the workplace. And so my encouragement is to continue to be faithful, to do what God calls you to do, whether you're in a city, whether you're in a a rural environment or in a suburb, no matter where you are, there are people around you who can benefit from your life in Christ and your joy in Christ and your hope in Christ and your ability to see the world in a a particular way that, that really understands and cultivates the goodness of God that he's placed in you. And so family, I just want to say God's blessing on you and may the Lord continue to guide you and give you strength. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you are stewarding and cultivating in your people. May you build them up and give them great glimpses of hope and peace and strength wherever you call us to serve. God, we thank you for your word today. In Christ's name, amen. amen. amen.
0: Thanks, Well, Jua has helped us to see that we gain ground not only in our own personal lives and in our homes and in our church, but also we want to gain ground this year in the wider world around us, beginning in our own city. And he's helping us see that the work we do every day helps to advance that kingdom. So on this Labor Day weekend, as you take a rest from your work and school and then get ready to go go back to work and school, we, your pastors, would like to bless you as you do that. So we're going to send you out with a commissioning prayer today, each of you. And we'd like to just call attention to some of the particular professions we'd like to pray into. And the first one is for those of you involved in the field of education and we're talking about students and about teachers and about administrators. So if you are a student of any age of any grade from preschool right on through to postdoctoral work, if you're a student, if you're a teacher or an aide in a classroom, private or public, if you're a professor, a member of a faculty of an institution of higher learning, if you run a child care program, If you are in administration or support in any kind of school environment, would you just stand where you are right now? Anybody involved, student, teacher, if you're in education, would you stand for a moment? Because we want to bless you as you head out into a new year. Thank you for what you do. And I would like to ask those of you who are involved in home building, because a lot of education happens in the home. So if you are managing a home, if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, if you're a retired person, if you're raising children, anything to do to build a home environment, and that's your primary work, would you stand if that's your primary work? We want to honor you as well. I'm assuming the rest of you have jobs as well. So whatever field you work in, if it's in IT, or healthcare or law, or government, or retail, or business, or arts and entertainment, whatever it is, whatever you do for work, would you please stand where you are? Thank you. I'm going to ask everybody to stand at this point because I want to pray for all of you as you head out on behalf of our pastoral staff. We work here, most of us. You go out to places we cannot go. And so we want to bless you and commission you as you go. So would you bow your heads with me as we bless you. Father, we thank you today for every person here in this room, for each of these, your servants. Thank you for the gifts and the training, the opportunities you've given them to work for the common good, and to advance your kingdom in our city and in this world. Lord, we pray in particular today for those who work in the field of education. Bless those who are students, Lord, that they would grow in knowledge and wisdom this year, that you would equip them to fulfill your good call upon their lives, that they would fulfill your purposes in this world. We pray for those who teach them and care for them and support them and lead them at home and in school that they might work at their very best as well, that they would recognize the contribution they're making, not only to the lives of these students, but to the wider world around them. Lord, we pray in a similar way for all those who will work this year in whatever work you have called them to. Lord, may they work with integrity and with excellence. Grant them wisdom and strength for their tasks and grace and compassion for the people they work with and for. For those who are working at jobs that are frustrating and not very satisfying or adequate, we pray that you might give them patience and perseverance and soon lead them to work that is fulfilling and satisfying. For those who are seeking work, Lord, pray that you might provide for their needs in this season and lead them quickly to work that, again, will be satisfying to them and honoring to you. We pray, Lord, that whatever we do, that we might work at it with all our might, in ways that advance your work in this world, and in ways that point people towards the Savior, Jesus Christ, who came into this world not just to live among us, but to work among us and to love us as we are and to love us into what we were capable of becoming. May we be his servants in this year to come. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.